welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you so much. In one second, I'm going to invite our children downstairs to follow Miss Haley and Miss Sherry Lyons to our children's church. But before they go, I do want to uh, thank Glenn for that song. That is a powerful song. With that one, I certainly thank Joey Tucker for that wonderful uh, message there. I tell you, Joey could preach. I mean, Joey, we could have just had church right there. It could have been. That was. Thank you, Joey. So that, that's, uh, I, uh, I tell you, sound team, I, if I raise my voice, I'd blow you away. So does it seem a little loud right now? You might turn me down just a little bit. We don't want to go too low, though. You'll fall asleep. But uh, I, um, you, uh, I want to share something. And that's a little too low. You, you will doze off. But I, I want to share something. He talked about our staff. And we, we are blessed to have such a wonderful staff and that uh, uh, very stable, uh, has m- many uh, years, many decades of experience. You know, we don't have any rookies here in our staff at all. No one's learning on the job, although I feel like it, but we're not. We, um, we are blessed to have that. But I want to tell you one of the great things about our church it's certainly our staff. I want to tell you something that sets Broadway apart from so many churches today in 2021. And do you know, this is it, we don't have any doctrinal problems at this church. What I mean by that is among all those staff members up there, we don't have any secret liberals. We don't have people over here who are trying to a little personal agenda. Every single person I know at this church believes in the inerrancy of the Word of God, Jesus is the only way. We are a church that is centered on this book. Now, we might fight and fuss over money and how to plan little events here or there, but the actual core issues, doctrinal purity to the Word of God and the definition of marriage, the importance of worship and coming together as Christians under the Lordship of Jesus, we're not, we don't drift along with different social ideologies, whatever the new movement is. That doesn't bother our church. It's not, we are rooted on the Word of God. That's actually, that is the strength of this church. It is a doctrinally sound, biblical church. And we are blessed to be a part, uh, blessed to be a pastor of a church that doesn't have to sit here and say, well, I can't really say this because it will offend their and hurt their feelings. There are a lot of folks here in the city, pastors, they can't preach on certain topics. They, do not have that, they don't have that freedom in the pulpit because it will, it will offend certain people. That is not here at Broadway. We are based on the Word of God. So that being said, and that includes every ministry of our church, Sunday school, children, youth, whatever it is, you know you're grounded in Scripture with that. All right, we're about to have our children's church. If you are a child, and let's say go through fifth grade, you want to stand up, and you want to follow the Alliance family, right down here you are going to room C1 for Children's Church. All children at this time stand up and you run to Children's Church because it is exciting. That is where we're off to right now. Parents, you will pick your children up downstairs when church is over. Open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is the second part of a three-week sermon series on Tempted. We are going to look at a story that you all know, but is one that we constantly have to keep going back to, and that is David's sin with Bathsheba. Something happened. This wonderful king, who is at the top of his career, made a mistake. One night, 
destroyed his family. In many ways, it was the beginning of the end of Israel and their collapse. Let's give, while you turn there to 2 Samuel, we are, uh, if we have time, we're going to flip over to Psalm 51 because that is the psalm, that is David's prayer that he cried out and wrote to the Lord after he committed sexual sin with Bathsheba. In 1957, there was a show on TV called I Love Lucy. You all remember I Love Lucy? Are the reruns still being shown? Do you know that was Lucille Ball and Ricky Ricardo? They were married. They were actually married in real life. Sadly, they actually got divorced later on. But uh, on the show, they were husband and wife. And then um, in real life, they were husband and wife. And now this was in the 50s, 1957. And uh, the uh, I Love Lucy show, the husband and wife, they're married. They didn't even sleep in the same bed. If you watch that show, they slept in separate beds. Because uh, back then, TV was coming out. They didn't want to give the appearance of, of, of just sexual immorality. It wouldn't even be immorality. They were actually married. Even in real life, they were married. I mean, but they still maintained different beds. All right, uh, you fast forward about 12 years, there was a new show that came out called The Brady Bunch with Mike and Carol Brady. They actually, were, they were married on the show, and they slept in the same bed. And they weren't, that wasn't the very first time um, that it happened on TV, but for such a mainstream uh, sitcom such as Brady Bunch, it certainly popularized it because it was very family-oriented. But many people raised an eyebrow in 1969. You've got, a, you've got folks here now on the TV. They're sleeping in the same bed. I want to show you how far our, our world has changed since 1969. This past week on Tuesday, y'all are going to fall out of your... You, you, you know, nothing surprises us anymore. We all know this. This past Tuesday, our president gave the first, uh, first man... You know, it's a woman who's actually biologically a man, a four-star officer award. Rachel Levine, who is the Assistant Secretary of Health, is now a brand new four-star officer here in the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps. Did you all see this in the news? Rachel Levine claims to be a woman, but biologically she's a man. And this was the first four-star transgendered officer in our United States military. Came out this week. Do you know that, at night, if we go back to I Love Lucy and the Brady Bunch, folks back then did, what is a transgendered man-woman? What is that? It doesn't even line up with biology. Do you see how sexually desensualized we have become. There's a desensualization of sexuality. And it's, it has slowly happened. Just, it didn't all happen with I Love Lucy. But it just slowly came about. And this is where we're at today. We don't know if men or women, a woman is a man. You, you don't even know which pronoun to use. Describe him. It makes no sense. It goes against Genesis chapter 2. What God has created. But the truth is, we live in a fallen world. And it's easy for us to say, I'm never going to believe that. That's not going to affect me. 
And most likely, it won't affect you. We, um, we, you, will not, you will believe a man's a man, a woman's a woman. You'll go to the grave believing that, because that's what biology, as well as the Word of God, tells us. But we will be affected by sexual sin and temptation. Because even someone like David, God had blessed this man. I want to tell you about David before we about, we're about to read 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is the top of his career. David was a shepherd boy. God picked him, the youngest of seven of sons. When he got anointed by Samuel, the boy was watching sheep. He was literally in the field. Play, he practiced playing a harp for the sheep because he's probably bored. God raised him up. He protected him. He was in King Saul's house. Saul was a jealous, angry man. Saul tried to kill David. One by one, the Lord provided a way out. Not only that, David met a man named Goliath, the tallest man ever to live. David killed Goliath. Nine, he was nine feet, six inches tall, Goliath was. David gave a courage. God gave a courage to David like no other. David became a military leader. And he experienced victory after victory after victory. The man did not lose. Everything he had came from God. His wisdom, his he had elite soldier fighting unit. These, uh, these combat officers who just... Joab, was, Joab wasn't always the most moral man, but he knew how to run a military. The guy was a phenomenal commander. He would have got the four-star general award. And he was a man. He would have received it. Joab would. And not only that, it goes on here about David's life. David was so blessed by the Lord, God, four chapters before this, made, listen to this, an eternal covenant with David. Nathan the prophet came to David and said, David, the Lord has blessed you so much. He is making your house. The house of David is an eternal house. David united all of Judah, all of Israel. The kingdoms came together. The chapter before this, he killed 40,000 Aramean soldiers. I mean, Israel was powerful. They did not lose. David wanted to build a house for the Lord. He moved the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, but God said, no, David, your hands are bloody. Your son's going to build me a house. But you, you unified every, everyone under the city of David, which is Jerusalem. It's the capital. It's where Jesus was crucified. So I want you to know, you're seeing a picture of a man that anything this man touched with his hands was blessed by the Lord. Now, if that was you, you were at the top of your career, nothing bad has ever happened in your life. Truly, and I say that. He has an eternal covenant with God. His house and family... Bible says will last forever. Jesus came from the house of David. He was in David's lineage. But something happens here. David made this mistake. And the, when we feel like it can't happen to us, 
And if it, it can, because if it can happen to David, it can happen to me, it can happen to you. And the main point is not to, this is not a message on adultery. This is a message on showing how God provided every little out of the temptation. There were a lot of mistakes that were made leading up to this sexual sin with Bathsheba. And one of the things what happens with our temptation in our life, God puts accountability, He surrounds us by people, and He even gives us side doors that you can escape. And David just walked right by all of them. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look here how um, he just drifted down into this sexual sin, and it was the beginning of the end of Israel. And Israel has never been the same since. Now Solomon was wealthy. He got his wealth from his father. But the nation began to crumble under Solomon's leadership because of spiritual problems. 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring... When kings march out to war, first mistake right there, David used to go out to battle. But for whatever reason, he didn't go out to battle now. The Bible doesn't tell us why. They didn't go to war. David stayed home. So, all right, he's out of position right there. David sent Joab with his officers in all of Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbath. But David remained in Jerusalem. So he's out of place right there. He didn't go to work that day. He stayed at home. He stayed back when all the other men, including Joab, his military commander, was fighting. One evening, this is the next mistake David makes, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof roof of the palace. All right. Why is David not in bed? Listen, God created us to sleep. There's times that at 2 and 3 and 4 in the morning, at midnight, where do you need to be at? Do you need to be at the bar? Do you need to be running around the city? You need to be in bed. David's supposed to be in bed. For whatever reason, he's awake. Now, it's okay to be awake in bed, because you might not be sleepy. Then you need to pray the Lord. But instead of staying in his bed, David decides, you know what? It's a nice, beautiful day. Let's go walk around on the roof. He's out of position right there. He's wandering away from where he's supposed to be. And I want you all to understand this. The devil knows when you're out of position. He knows... Daniel's supposed to be in bed, but he's in the couch in the living room. Watching TV or playing on the computer. That's a dangerous place to be when you're supposed to be in bed. And the devil's watching. He recognizes you're not at war, you're not in bed. Temptation is coming. That's what happens right here. So we've got, we've already, you already see the problem. It begins with David's out of position. He's out of his routine. He's not with the men. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So many times, many preachers will say, well, Bathsheba positioned herself, knowing she probably lived near the king's palace, knowing 
she has no clothes on, knowing you know, uh, David might see her. But I don't necessarily believe that. And here's why. She probably did not know if David had went to war or not. She also did not know David was going to be strolling, strolling around on the roof because it's the middle of the night. Because she might have thought, okay, it's nighttime. Now is the time I need to take a bath. Now's the time when I need to get ready because no one will see me. She had no idea David's going to be a peeping Tom on the roof looking at her. We ne never in this adultery case does any f does, do we see Bathsheba being charged at fault here. Now she experiences consequences from this, but it's all at the feet of David on this. He's the one out of position. From the roof he saw this woman. She's very pretty. So David sent someone to inquire about her. Now, here's the next trip up right here. Next two mistakes. David is the king. He has servants. He gets a servant. Go find out who this woman is. I need to get to know her. I'm bored. I have nothing to do. It's the middle of the night. So look at the report that comes back about Bathsheba. Notice that we don't, we don't find out yeah, this is Bathsheba. David, she's really pretty. You'd really have a great night with her. You want me to go get her again? That's her name. She's a 10 out of 10. That's not what the report came back. The messenger knows, listen to this church, knows this is wrong. And the messenger knows this is wrong. These, these folks aren't dumb. The messenger knows what's going on here. Why is it 2 in the morning and we're going to inquire about a woman who just got a bath. I mean, this is just not normal activity that goes on at the palace here in Jerusalem. So the news of the report that comes back um, isn't, the messenger says, isn't this Bathsheba? Look at, the, look at, we know her name. Look at this, the daughter of Eliam. Do you know who Eliam is? That is one of David's mighty men, one of his premier elite soldiers. He's listed later on in this chapter, in this book, about being a great, mighty warrior. So we're saying, this is a daughter. She has a father that's at war fighting for you. When you're thinking about committing sexual sin, man, you think, that lady has a father. There's a dad that's heart that's grieving. The man that you're about to commit, a, the woman you're about to commit adultery has a father who's fighting for your life right now, who's protecting you, and you're abusing his daughter. But it goes on. I, like This is a Liam, is her daddy. But not only that, look at this. The daughter of Liam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David, this woman is married. Who is Uriah? U Uriah is also one of those mighty men. He's an elite soldier fighting for David. The messenger was trying to tell David, David, she is off limits. Like, you can't mess with her. Like, she's taken. Her father and her husband are fighting 
for your safety and your family and your kingdom. The Lord has brought these wonderful men to protect you. Why would you abuse their daughter and their wife? Like, do you see, this is where, now we're already out of position, now we've got the poor little messengers giving the warning to David. This is the Lord working, trying to say, David, don't do it. Don't talk to this person. There's some people you don't need to talk to. Now's not the time. David sent messengers to get her. When she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. In many ways, this might be considered today a sexual assault. He literally picked this person out, committed adultery with her, got what he wanted, sent her home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. David sent orders to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing. Now understand, David would never just pull some troop out of the field to get a report. Reports were sent by messengers. Joab knows something's going on. Joab's a very wise military commander. This is not normally how... You know I always say, when something seems fishy, church, you know what it is? It's fishy. If something doesn't seem right, if you smell a dead fish, that means there's probably a dead fish. If you see red flags, that means some, there's something there. You might need to do some digging. And Joab's aware of this. He's like, why are we sending Joab? This isn't how we normally do messages back to the king. So he comes. David asked Joab and the troops how they were doing and how the war is going. Then he said to Uriah, you go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and sent a gift from the king. Followed. You know what that probably gift was? It was probably alcohol and food. That way his goal was to get him drunk. You go, go, go home. Go spend time with your family. Go wash your feet. Just you, get, get a good bath. But look at this. Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all his master's servants. He did not go down to his house. He, man, so he is so loyal to the king, he doesn't even go home. He didn't even open up his present. He stays at the gate protecting the king. Because remember, he's an officer. Why is he guarding the gate? That's what, that's what soldiers do. He's there to protect the king. Why would I go to my house when I need to be guarding the palace? When it was reported David, Uriah didn't go home. David questioned Uriah. Haven't you just come from a journey? Why didn't you go home? I'm sure Uriah thinking, what is going on? Like, you've never once even spoke to me in my life. Why on earth are you asking me why didn't I go, why didn't I go home? And look what he says here. Uriah answers David, the ark. Do you all know what the ark is? That's holding the Ten Commandments. The Seventh Commandment is do not commit adultery. The ark, don't miss this. That's the presence of the Lord, the ark. Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I go home and eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live and by my life, I will not do this. What a noble man, Uriah. He's like, I can't go home and spend time with my family when everybody else is fighting, but that's the very thing David was doing. He didn't go to war. He stayed at the palace. You're, we're seeing how noble and righteous Uriah is and how, 
how unrighteous David is. Stay here today also. So David wouldn't, David had to come up with another plan. He wouldn't let him go back to the battlefield. You stay here also, David said to Uriah, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him. And David got him drunk. Now Uriah's drunk. He went out in the evening to lie down on his cot with his master's servants. He did not go home. This is the most righteous drunk man you will ever see in your life. You can't get more righteous than Uriah. Even drunk, he is more faithful to the Lord than David is. He gets drunk and he doesn't even go home. Drunk man stays and still guards the king. What a, what a great drunk this guy is. You see the nobility and the faithfulness of Uriah. You see the wickedness of King David. It goes on the next morning, David wrote, so I mean, probably poor David, he's getting so frustrated. I just, my goodness, what a faithful man. So this is how, this is what sin does to you. Because sexual sin, any type of sin, it doesn't stop right there. It leads to other things. The cover-up didn't work. So now we have to move to murder. Next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. David knew Uriah is so faithful to me, I can send him a letter that says, kill Uriah. The very man is carrying, probably running as fast as he can, running in that race. He's carrying his death warrant with him, and he doesn't even know it. Because David knew, this guy's so loyal to me, he won't even peek. He won't even open the letter. He's running to Joab with his death warrant. When Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab. And some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also died. Joab knows something's going on because David would not want to kill his own people. This is the man after the Lord's own heart. So several men had to die, basically, to get rid of Uriah, to cover up David's sin. Joab sent someone to report to David all the details of the battle. He commanded the messenger, when you finish telling the kings all the details of the battle, if the king's anger gets stirred up and he asks, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you realize they would shoot from the top of the wall at Thebes, who... At Thebes, who struck Abimelech, the son of Jeremoth, didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the top of the wall so he died? What they're talking about is a previous battle. When you besiege a city, you don't want run up to the walls where they shoot arrows. So you basically cut them off. So what Uriah did is he sent the people and basically run to the wall and knowing they're going to get shot by bow and arrows and throw millstones on them. Like it's just basically... We're going we're gonna to send you on a suicide mission. But the goal is for you to die. And it happened. Why did you get close to the wall? Then say, because Joab knew he made a bad decision, but he was honoring what David wanted. So when David gets upset, you're supposed to say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then the messenger left. When he arrived, he reported to David all that Joab had told him. The messenger reported to David, the men gained advantage over us and came against us in the field. But we counterattacked right up to the entrance of the city gate. However, the archer shot down on your servants from the top of the wall. And some of the king's servants died. Your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Now that's a sad story. 
David just learned that several of his best fighting men died. Wouldn't you be sad? Not David here, because this is what sin does to you. It hardens your heart. All David wanted is his own people to die to cover up his sin. David told the messengers, Say this to Joab, Don't let this matter upset you, because the sword devours all alike. Intensify your fight against the city and demolish it. Encourage him. What a sad message. Hey, it's just how the ball bounces. Some people die in life. That's too bad. Hey, just get, get that encouraging word. Y'all go out and do better next time. What a sad report. David had been desensitized to death. He was glad his people just died. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband, when Bathsheba learned that her husband died, she mourned for him. And you know, she might not have known that it was David who killed her husband. When the time of mourning ended, David had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. So now Bathsheba is David's wife. This is the sad sentence here, the very end of verse 27. Look at this verse. However... The Lord considered what David had done to be evil. That's the problem right there. God witnessed this entire ordeal. The cover-up, the murder, and the Lord judged David. This is the beginning of the end of David's kingdom. In our life, we will face temptation. We will have opportunities to get out of that. God sent multiple chances for David to take a side door. Even the messenger was trying to prevent David from doing this. He was out of position. He should have been in bed. And this is where he found himself. The Lord looks at him and considers him to be evil. We don't have time to turn there, but I want to read you this scripture in Psalm 51. Later on, what happened is a prophet named Nathan, the same prophet, the last time he appeared before David, he told me he had an eternal house. Then he comes to him again. Your prophet knocks on the door, and he told a story. The story is about a wealthy man stealing a little lamb from a poor man because he didn't want to give up one of his own. And that story was about David. And David was confronted with his sin. And David confessed his sin. But the prophet Nathan said, because you've committed this sin, the Lord will let you live. You won't die. But your family is going to have problems. The sword will continue or will continue now to devour your own family. David's ministry began to crumble after his sin with Bathsheba. His children went wild. He had to go into exile. He starts crumbling with worship. All of a sudden, up until this point, we see the second part of David's life. Even Joab, his most faithful military friend, turned it, his military commander turned against him. And he was confronted this. And I want to read this Scripture here, because David wrote Psalm 51. I'm not going to read all. I want to read four verses, because this is how we respond when we find ourselves giving in to temptation. 
So much of temptation is understanding the stops that the Lord puts in our life. We're out of position, we're out of place, and we fail to listen to people who are warning us. You should listen to folks that are saying, you shouldn't be doing this. You're going down a road that's going to dis- be disobedient to God. You're breaking the seventh commandment, David. After David's sin, Psalm 51 verse 10 says, God, create a clean heart in me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is revival right here. Somebody who needs revival has experienced sin and temptation. Do not banish me from my presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He didn't want to lose the Holy Spirit of God. That's what sin does. You're distant from the Lord. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. David said, God, restore the joy of salvation. Do you know what sin does to you? It robs you of the joy of your salvation. Meaning, you are no longer excited to be a believer in Christ. You are no longer longing to come to worship because you have unconfessed sin in your heart. You have defiled yourself with the Lord. And you are robbed of that joy. David recognized his greatest need in restoration is returning to that passion he had as a young man who was wholeheartedly... Remember, David is described as a young man after the Lord's own heart. What did David want? He wanted the Lord's heart. What did the sin with Bathsheba do? It robbed him of that. Adultery, sexual immorality, the desensualization of it, it robs you of the joy you have in the Lord. You have to start coming up with little plans to cover up your sin. It leads to other problems. And you get a hardened heart. You no longer care when people die. You don't care for lost people anymore. It's all about what I want. And I think the principle for us this morning the temptation. God is telling us that there are places you shouldn't go. There are places you should not go. Not only that, there's people you should not look at. David, when he, he saw, first of all, he shouldn't be on the roof. He should be in bed. But when he saw a naked woman, he, oh, I need to turn away and go back to bed. He did not do that. There were times you just don't need to look, talk to look, look at that person. And not only that, there's things you should not ponder about. When you start thinking about, when you start imagining, what would it be like? You know, look at this situation. This woman's dad and her husband are gone. You know, I'm just bored. It's the middle of the night. Why? Let's go find out. Let's inquire who this woman is. Places you shouldn't go. People you shouldn't look at. And not only that, there's things you shouldn't ponder about. That is what happened here with temptation in David. And for us, you find yourself on either side of this. God's putting stops along the way that you shouldn't go down this road. He's putting messengers in your place saying, let me tell you who this person is. You need to go away. 
And then even after you do commit sin, even including sexual sin, the Lord will restore the joy of your salvation. We have a God that can renew a steadfast spirit. Do you know what a steadfast spirit is? A steadfast spirit is is you are just as excited to be serving the Lord on Thursday as you are on Sunday. It goes throughout the week. It's steadfast. It, It is a faithfulness each and every day to the Lord. That is what God is looking for you and I. Is that your prayer to the Lord? Are you asking God for a steadfast spirit? You know, poor David. He was so faithful to this point. And then it's just like, you can just read the rest of the book of 2 Samuel. Literally every single chapter, the man had problems. He has family members committing incest. His son marries 700 wives. They're bringing in idol worship in the city. It's just problem after problem. Then, after that, they split. David had united the kingdom. And then they have a nation split from Judah to Israel later on. All because of David's sin. And I I appeal to you as your pastor, and the Lord appears to you, appeals to you saying, when you see the warning signs, when you see the red flags, when you smell a fish, something is fishy and God is speaking, trying to get your attention to say, there's times you need to go back to bed. The question here, what we want to end on, is here's how you can look. In your bulletin it says, why are you out of bed when everyone else is asleep? That's how it started. David is supposed to be in bed. Everybody else in the castle is in bed. He's supposed to be asleep. But he's out of bed wandering around on the roof. When you're out of position, the devil sees it. And he will cause you to be tempted. And you need to be aware spiritually when you're in a place you shouldn't be in, talking to people you shouldn't be talking to, pondering and thinking with your inquisitive mind about things you should not be thinking about, next thing you know, you'll be meeting Bathsheba. I want to pray for you right now. And I'm going to pray for God to renew our hearts, for us to be cleansed, and knowing that, for Him to restore the joy of our salvation. God, I pray for the folks listening to this message. This is the most famous of all story of adultery in the history of humankind. And Lord, it's one where we see David had opportunities to stop this, and he didn't. God, I pray in our life, if we find ourselves out of place, talking to people, thinking about things and people and places we should not be thinking about, Lord, purify and cleanse our mind. Put a cre- create in our hearts a pure spirit, a cleansed, cleansed heart. Restore our joy of our salvation. Lord, help us see an opportunity out from sexual sin, any type of sin, any type of temptation. God, I pray for those of us who have sinned against you. Lord, we come to you individually. And Lord, it's between you and I. Each one of us coming to you, asking for forgiveness, asking for restoration, asking for protection moving forward. 
Lord, just like David confessed his sin, you forgave him, but there were consequences. Lord, we come and confess our sins. We repent and we turn. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that we're able to take these words and we apply them in our lives. We live in such an immoral, sexually charged culture. And if we aren't aware of this, we too, just like David, will be tripped up. God, take these messages, take these words, and change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close our worship service with an invitation. I want to invite everyone to stand up. If you want to get saved this morning, you can receive the joy of salvation. Myself and Brother Hurd. Brother Hurd is back, so he'll be standing down front. You come take Brother Hurd's hand. And you make your decision of following Christ publicly this morning. This can be your church home. We are a Bible-believing, wonderful church that preaches the Word of God, sings about the Word of God. You come forward and make this your church home. We're waiting for you. David?